we want to turn into our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 16. I'm sorry. Luke chapter 16. And we are going to read verse 19 to the end of this chapter. But first we want to pray. Let us pray. O Lord and Ezekiel, it is said, indeed you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. And Lord, how often this is the case even for us. We hear your word, and it is pleasant to our ears, but we do not do it. And we want to pray, Lord, today that we would hear your word, that it would sink into our hearts, that it would change us into Christ-likeness, that we would be more like him, because there is no one who is lovelier than he is. He is absolutely beautiful and the loveliest of all men. And we do pray, Lord, that we would be like him and therefore be able in all circumstances to take decisions which Christ would take as well. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Luke 16, verse 19. Children, I'm sure you know the story about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus. And this is exactly the story the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us here. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abram's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to, to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one rise from the dead. Though one rise from the dead. Amen. Now, we have thus far seen different things about the Holy Scriptures. First, we saw that the Holy Scriptures have ultimate authority. 
The word is above all institutions, above all feelings, about all, above all reason of humankind and above all individualism as well. But we also have seen that, of course, you could also misunderstand the scriptures. And we had looked at or we looked at some of the helps we could have to interpret the scriptures together. But you could still affirm these previous points that the scriptures has ultimate authority and you could also understand the scriptures pretty well but you still could fall into another trap or step into another trap thinking either explicitly or implicitly in your life that the scriptures are not sufficient that they're not sufficient either that they're not sufficient for salvation or they're not sufficient for my daily life so that I would know how to live Christ-like in every situation and in every circumstance. And there may be explicitly or implicitly the opinion that the Bible needs to be supplemented by something. That we need to add something, whether it is tradition or psychology or science or even signs and miracles and special ointments that are needed so that we would actually live godly lives. And one of those views is represented by the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church up to this day believes, yes, of course, the Bible is the word of God, but it still needs something else. It needs to be augmented by tradition, completed by tradition that is basically handed down in the church. So it's not only scripture, but it's also something else, because the Bible is not quite sufficient. And the reasoning goes like this, that they say, well, the Bible itself speaks of it, that there are many other things that could be said. But these things are written down so that we would believe. And they point to, for instance, John 20, and say, and where Christ says, and, or John says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And then they point to it and say, ha, do you see? There are many other things, and they are actually passed down from the apostles to the next generations, and they are now um, basically contained in the Roman Catholic Church, these traditions. So, in essence, they say, the word is not quite sufficient. We need something else that would either really help us to understand the Bible, or help us in our lives, or even how we should be saved. Then there are also other movements, and that is maybe even more common in evangelical circles, that believe, well, we actually need signs and miracles as well. I can remember very well that a couple told us in our church that they were at the sending service for missionaries in another church, and in that church, this couple that was sent into missions was specifically asking for prayers that great signs and miracles would happen. Because it seems, maybe implicitly, the word being preached is not quite sufficient enough to save people and to change hearts. Or even another view also in the evangelical circles is that may affirm and sees the word of God sufficient for salvation, to show us the way of salvation. But then when it comes to daily life, again, it is not quite sufficient for our daily life. It does not help us to live Christ-like in every circumstance. Yes, in most circumstances, but not in every circumstance it helps us to live Christ-like. 
After all, they may say, Scripture is clearly not sufficient for all things. I mean, Scripture does not tell us how we should build a rocket. Doesn't I, I haven't read that in the Bible, telling us how to build a rocket or other things. But then we may forget and see, well, the Bible is not necessarily sufficient for all things that we may kind of encounter in our lives, but it is sufficient for the things it was given to, for all the things it was given to, for the purpose the scriptures were given to. And the purpose is that we would come to Christ, that we come to salvation and live a godly and Christ-like life in all circumstances, wherever we may be and take the most glorifying decision wherever we may be. And today we want to look at the sufficiency of the scriptures. And I want to start with a quote from the Westminster Confession again. And we see there how the Westminster Confession tells us the purpose for which the scriptures are given and that for this purpose they are actually sufficient. And in chapter 1, again, Paragraph 6. And I read not the whole paragraph, just about half. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture and to which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. And something very similar, we see that, and it's actually one of the proof texts as well, in Second Timothy chapter 3. And I want you to turn to Second Timothy chapter 3. We have already read this chapter together, first day, and I want to just point you to verses 14 to 17 again where we see these things the Westminster Confession says basically categorized in two headings and these two headings or these two categories will be also our points for today and verse 14 first but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, and now listen very carefully, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Sufficient for salvation. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And here again, Sufficient for Christian life, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And these two categories will be our two points today. The title is The Sufficiency of Scripture, and then first, Sufficient for Salvation, secondly, Sufficient for the whole Christian life. And yes, of course, we should not be confused. If some people say, well, not everything was written down, that should not confuse us. Because the Spirit of God was nevertheless guiding the writers of the Scriptures that they would write down everything that is necessary for us to know for these two categories. 
to know God, to know his way of salvation, and also to live a godly life. Well, let's look at the first point. Sufficient for salvation. Verse 14, again, 15, I'm sorry. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, how do they make us wise for salvation? First, they do make us wise for salvation that they give us all information that is necessary in order that we could be saved. So God writes about creation. Writes about himself, who he is, how holy and pure and perfect he is. The scriptures tell us about the fall of man and what his original state was and then how he fell and into what the state he fell after his fall. Then it tells us as well about the whole history, how God is laying down the plan of salvation already in the Old Testament, pointing to Christ. But the scripture makes also clear that there is actually judgment upon humankind, upon everyone who is in Adam. And therefore plans to send a second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the second covenant head. And would fulfill everything that was promised in the Old Testament. Would live a perfect, pure life. A perfect Christian life. Would then go to the cross and would die for the sins of his people. We'd be buried and then raised again on the third day. And then we'd ascend up into heaven and sit at the right hand of God the Father. And one day he will come back to judge the world. So we see the whole Bible explains to us really. The, the way of salvation. Who God is. How pure and holy he is. And how we could come again to God if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because the Bible is also clear that faith in Jesus Christ will save us because then we are accounted righteous in the sight of God only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us this perfect man this complete man in a sense really when we see here verse 17 that the man of God may be complete this is exactly Christ the man of God who was And if we believe in him, we are complete. And the center of all is the Lord Jesus Christ, because that is exactly what Paul is saying. He says, which are able to make you wise, the scriptures, for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He is the center of everything. I was speaking to someone of you and explaining the red thread in the scriptures. It is Christ. It is the seed, the promised seed, who is the red thread in the whole scriptures, the main principle. But the word of God does actually even more than just giving us information. Some people may now say, well, it gives us information about all these things, but it cannot really convict or convince or give faith. Now, we may agree and say, yes, on its own, it cannot do that, just the words and the letters. But... The Spirit of God uses the Word, chiefly the Word, to convict and to convince sinners of their misery and of their need to hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ. And especially, actually, the preached Word. Especially the preached Word. It is not signs and miracles that convince people. 
It is the word of God being preached. Romans 10 is very clear in this regard. Romans 10, Paul speaks about it. How can they even um, hear the gospel if they are not sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. And then he says in verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing. Hear that? Not by reading chiefly. By hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Do you see in a real sense the word of God is sufficient to produce faith in us? Yes, it is the spirit of God. He uses it as an instrument. But it is not other things that do that. It is the word of God. That gives us faith and confidence in the word of God. And even in the history of the church, and already in the New Testament, of course, there were many other different views. There were really already views around which believe that it's not quite sufficient, the word of God or the gospel of the cross, to save sinners. Paul, I believe, is addressing it in 1 Corinthians. That there were some Greeks who believed, well, no, we need actually a bit more wisdom. We need a bit more rhetorical tricks in the speeches. We need a bit more of worldly philosophies to convince people, really, of their sin and misery. We need something more. We need to supplement the Word of God. It's not quite sufficient to bring people to salvation or to the knowledge of salvation on its own. And the Jews, what were they saying? They were saying, no, we want to see signs. We want to see signs. We need signs in order that we believe. And of course, Paul says no to both of these views in 1 Corinthians. And the Lord Jesus Christ in particular, and we read it together in Luke 16 in particular, says to the Jews, well, it is not the signs and miracles which convince people. And make them believe. It is actually the word of God. And that is why I read the story about the rich man and Lazarus. And I read again from verse 26. Abraham saying, And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abram said to him, They have Moses. They have the scriptures. And the prophets. They have the scriptures. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abram, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. If we see a sign, if we see a miracle, they will actually repent. And what does Abram say? But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. You see, Scripture is the means that will convince And convict sinners. And give faith. For the grace of the Holy Spirit. And his working. It is not the science. It is not the science. And this is so clear in the whole Bible. So clear in the whole Bible. So many signs were done. And people did not believe. I find it staggering. I'm in the evening service. Going through Acts. And I find it staggering that the high priest there. Was the very same high priest. 
who would have walked into the temple and would have seen the curtain torn into two. And he did not believe. Because it is the word of God that is sufficient to show us the way of salvation. It is sufficient for salvation. Because it shows us the whole way and it is the instrument of the Holy Spirit to create faith in us through his working. But this brings us to the second point. So some would say, okay, I agree with this. I agree with this. It is sufficient to show us a way of salvation, the whole salvation. We do not need anything more. But they may struggle to see that it is also sufficient for our daily life as Christians. And that brings us to the second point. Sufficient for the whole Christian life. Sufficient for the whole Christian life. We are back to Second Timothy chapter 3. And we see there how Paul is saying, for 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is what the scriptures do. We can find out the doctrines. We can find out where we have to correct ourselves. We will be instructed in righteousness. And for what purpose? For what purpose? Well, the purpose is given to us in verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for some good work. No, for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. So to be able to live, as Calvin says, a good and happy Christian life in all circumstances. In all jobs, whether we work at home, whether we work in the outside, whether we work in science, whether we work in the school, whether we work alone at home, in home office, whether we are going out with the children, whether we are at home with the children, whether we do any other work or travel anywhere else, it is sufficient to live a godly life in all life circumstances, in all life situations. Yes, it may not give you exact directions what you should do in your job, but it gives you directions how you should do your job. How it is pleasing to God to do your job. And this is possible in all circumstances for the Word of God to be a guide for us that we may be complete. And I believe Paul is even giving us examples in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because he's describing to Timothy extremely difficult situations in the future. In the whole chapter, he says, but now know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Difficult times will come. And then he gives a list of things that are coming towards Timothy. And Timothy could be, of course, extremely worried. Where should I look to in these difficult times? And Paul is saying at the end of the chapter, look Look to the word of God. And then in chapter 4, interestingly, he says, how should I use the word of God? Preach it in season and out of season. This is how the word is most effectual. You may think now, well, this is in chapter 4, not chapter 3. Well, when Paul was writing, there weren't any chapters. It was just one text. 
But let us look at some of the circumstances we may also encounter. He says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. So absolutely ungodly culture. And it is sufficient for the situation, for those circumstances, the word of God, to be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yes, it is even complete to equip us for every good work when we have difficult family situations. This is exactly also here described. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, even within our family. Or then we see as well that even when there are difficulties within the church, verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Do you see, he's describing people who call themselves Christians, but weren't Christians. And even in these situations, the word of God is sufficient to live a godly and right life before God. Or when wrong things are being taught, wrong doctrines, as it is said in verse 13, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Or there will be also persecutions, verse 11, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch. So Paul is bringing his own example and saying, in all these times, the scriptures were a guide to me in all situations, in all circumstances. And if it is actually a sure guide and a complete guide and a sufficient guide in difficult situations, how much more in easier situations? And therefore in all life circumstances. It is a sure guide to us and a sufficient guide. Because the scripture wants that we would live Christ-like in all circumstances. That we would live Christ-like in all circumstances. And the scripture actually gives us a complete Christ, doesn't it? It doesn't give us like a half Christ And the rest we need to find out through secret revelations. No, it gives us an absolute, complete Christ. And we are shaped into this complete Christ. We want to be like him. And the scriptures and the Holy Spirit want us to be like Christ. If we now say the scriptures are not complete, we also say this. The Christ, which is presented to us in scriptures, is not complete. That is very clear. If, if the scriptures are not, clear, uh, are not sufficient in all life circumstances, we would also very well or could very well say Christ, the complete, complete Christ, is not sufficient for all life circumstances because he is presented to us in the Holy Scriptures. And we would actually say, well, that Christ, which is presented to us, is not able to cope with all life circumstances. That would be heresy, wouldn't it? But the Christ presented in Scripture is a whole and complete Christ. And if we are formed and shaped into this Christ, we will be Christ-like. And in Him, we will be able to cope with all life situations in Christ. And if you grow into Christ, the Scriptures are truly complete. And they thoroughly equip us for every good work. And I do believe that Paul... It's exactly saying this with Christ and the complete Christ. And that you do not need anything apart from Christ to really um, growing into Christ and living a godly life. Then actually the scriptures which present us this Christ. And he's saying that to the Colossians. 
The Colossian church was being confused by teachers. It is not entirely sure what kind of teachers they were. It seems from the things they were teaching that they had some kind of Jewish Gnosticism, early Jewish Gnosticism, so Jewish teachers who still liked some of the ceremonial law and believed that we need to keep the ceremonial law in order to be holier and more complete, while this is, of course, pointing to Christ and we need to live in Him now and not in the ceremonial law. And also Gnosticism. Gnosticism, it's very difficult to define it, really, and there are still good theologians trying to define it exactly, but certainly what Gnosticism was saying, that there's some secret knowledge Some things besides the scriptures you need to find out in order to reach a higher level of sanctification and possibly even of consciousness. And those men were coming in into the Colossian church and were confusing the people and were basically saying the scriptures or the Christ being preached in the scriptures is not quite sufficient in order that you would be made complete. If you read the book of Colossians, you will see how often Paul refers to being complete in Christ or that we would present every man perfect in Christ. So it was really an issue of sanctification and we're saying you don't have everything that is needed for sanctification in Scripture or in Christ. And it seems they were teaching, for instance, that... And these teachings were, of course, persuasive, as he says in verse 4. He says, now I say this, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Often these things that come in next to Scripture, they sound very, very persuasive. And there were philosophies, as Paul was saying. There were some certain rules which are actually not taken out of the Scriptures. Of course, the Bible gives us rules and gives us laws we want to keep because they show us the character of God. But there are also sometimes rules which are man-made. And that was exactly also the problem in the church in Colossae. We see, for instance, verse 16, chapter 2, So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moons or Sabbaths. This is a rule of Sabbaths, so the festivals in the Old Testament. Or chapter 2, verse 21, Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle And then Paul says, these things are not necessary. Because the scripture or the Christ presented to you in scripture, through the scriptures, he is absolutely sufficient for you. To go into the depth of the riches of the mystery of God. And that's exactly what he says in chapter 2. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You do not need anything beside Christ. You do not need anything beside the scriptures which speak of this Christ and present us this Christ in all glory. Because if you believe that this would be the case, you believe that Christ in the Bible is not really sufficient for all tasks of life. You believe he really needs to be supplemented by something else. 
which would be, of course, absolute madness to say. Because he says as well, Paul, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And therefore, because the scriptures show us this Christ, the scriptures are also sufficient for our whole daily life, for our whole Christian life. They make us man of God, complete and thoroughly equipped for all good works. But that brings me to some applications. And the first is just to say this very doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture is such a comforting doctrine, isn't it? We do not have to worry that there's something beside the scriptures we need to study really or really to know in depth for salvation or for our Christian life. Of course books are necessary, we have said that, that we need others to teach us as well, but this is always under the scriptures, it is not something next to scriptures on the same level of the scriptures but how comforting is that to know here we have everything and there is really a simplicity simplicity to that that we actually know this what we have in front of us is sufficient is sufficient for salvation and also for our Christian life secondly trust the scriptures that they will do for which they were sent by God. God said his word will not come back empty to him. And therefore it's the same thing when it is speaking about salvation. It does for which it was sent. Or for our Christian life that we would be fully sanctified and complete in Christ. It does exactly for which it was sent. If we would only believe it and search the scriptures and meditate upon it. And hear the word of God being preached. Therefore continue to read and to study. And yesterday I was being asked how how should I maybe start to study the Bible. I just want to say a few things again to that. First, put priority on the preached word of God. This is also so extremely important for me. I can remember, you. some of you may know Ivor Martin from Edinburgh Theological Seminary. The principal, Nick, knows him very well. And I remember asking him, how as a minister even, you would actually keep the love of Christ in your heart. And he said one thing that stuck with me to this day, listen to many preachers often, even as a preacher myself. And if you have that as a, even as a normal member, as the main thing, work away or work from that and Start maybe reading the Word of God on a, Sunday, a Saturday evening and look what maybe the minister has sent out, what the text will be, and study this text already. And then it will be to much more benefit for you on a Sunday. And maybe then study it on Monday again. And then start your daily reading. Don't start with too much. Don't start with five, six, seven chapters each day and think, I will just press on. Start maybe with one or two chapters, but then be consistent in it. And you will find out that maybe after some time, you will add a chapter or two a day. And you will get to know the scriptures. And I want to emphasize also again, be patient. Don't do it one or two months and think, 
oh, I must now understand the scriptures very well. No, this is not how it works. God wants to see faith even if we do not see results. That we would press on and believe it is sufficient for our daily life. Let us study the word of God. And what is also helpful actually is look up parallel texts. Some Bibles have that, parallel texts, and that helps you sometimes to connect things. I find it myself very helpful. I quite often use that in my personal Bible. I write actually down my own parallel texts. And that is extremely helpful as well, to remember sometimes where things are written. And then lastly, the last application, seek to be Christ-like in all situations, in all places where God has put you. And this is extremely important. Don't try to be a good Christian husband, first and foremost. Don't try to be a good Christian wife, first and foremost. Don't try to be a good Christian parent, first and foremost. First and foremost, be Christ-like. Because everything you need in these other situations is Christ-likeness. Of course, there are different tasks and responsibilities sometimes. But nevertheless, focus on being Christ-like. Because if you focus on something else, you will not have the right balance. You will not have the right balance. Or you will think, oh, well, I'm really good in this, therefore I'm good in everything else. Because you focus only on the one thing. Therefore, try to be and work towards being Christ-likeness. Because the Spirit of God wants to recapitulate that, what he has worked in the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to work in you as well. To be beautiful and glorious as the Lord Jesus Christ is. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we confess, we can sometimes see the beauty of Christ and not even recognize it in your word. And Lord, we pray that through your spirit, you would show us him even in more light and splendor and glory so that we truly want to be like him in every way. Lord, help us to strive towards that. Even though we may only make small advances in this life and often the more we become Christ-like in our lives, the more we see our sins. But Lord, help us to persevere until the day when you will return in glory and we will see you as you are and will be with you forever and forever. Amen.